Welcome to the Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Break away for nonstop chill. The Hockey Show. On Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Ready for the power play? Here are your hosts, Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. Good morning, everybody. For one last time, it is the Hockey Show, brought to you by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. Last time for the 2020-2021 campaign with Brian Hanley. I'm Pat Boyle, coming to you from the first Midwest Bank Studios in downtown Chicago. Brian, how you doing this morning? I'm doing terrific, Patrick. Can't believe it's over. And boy, a lot to discuss because... Maybe like three seasons in the fifty-six game season. It just seemed like there were, there were, there was a lot to this Hawks campaign. It was a season unlike any other for obvious reasons with the pandemic. But uh, this team exceeded our expectations in a lot of ways. So, so what was your biggest takeaway when you take take a step back after watching those fifty-six games and the ups and the downs and the the guys you'd never heard of who emerged and those who had rebound seasons and those like Patrick Kane who continued to put up big-time points. What was your biggest takeaway? You know, when you look at 311 rookie games played, I mean, just think about that, right? You're talking about, what, nine guys making debuts mm-hmm. and scoring their first NHL goals. And, I mean, that just so obviously they led the league and in, in first-year players getting ice time. And... So when you think of this and try to put in perspective, and we're going to give some grades later on in the show based on this season, and I kept catching myself because you saw how good they could be on certain nights, uh, you know, when guys like Lincoln and start tailing off at the end, I'm thinking, okay, I got to keep in perspective that I didn't even know if Kevin Lincoln was going to see, you know, any time this year. Nor did they, because he was their third option, right? And then then a month into it, we're talking about a Calder finalist and a Vesna conversation guy. The numbers don't look so good at the in the last 22 against some of the upper echelon teams, and you got to just keep it all in perspective that he arrived on the scene unannounced. Then he impressed us to the point where I expected more from him in the later stages. And so I was, you know, just trying to give him a letter grade that was warranted. And, and so there, there are probably a, hand, a handful of those guys where you know how young they are, but when you saw their A game, you expected that A game uh, to see that A game more often than you did. Yeah, and when we get to the grades, I, I you know, I didn't grade on a curve, and I, I felt a little dirty comparing a rookie's effort his first year in the National Hockey League to an established veteran, but. Uh, well, we'll get to that coming up yeah, a little bit later sure. on. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at ESPN Hockey Show. We got a few poll questions up and running this morning. Which Hawks surprised you most this season? Your options, Lankinen, Debrinket, Hagel, or other? And then here's another one for you. What is the Blackhawks' biggest offseason need? Do they need a physical center, a top four defenseman, a goalie? or Taves returning? Again, Twitter poll question. It's at ESPN Hockey Show. Um, Let me, just to put a bow on the biggest takeaway, I'll say I was encouraged. That's where I stand. A bunch of young players were given opportunities, and we knew that was coming. The question is, are they NHL players? I think by and large, most of them are. Now the question is, 
how do they fit into a playoff contender, a cup contender roster? And I think that's what the next step is for this group. We saw, you know, some positive things. We saw the young players stepping up, guys like Hagel, Suter, Kurashev, Lankinen, as you mentioned. How about Kalnuk, who, you know, came on at the end of the season and ended up starting like 20 games in a row. Debrinkit's bounce back year. Had an all-star season. Brian scored 18 goals last year, had 32 in 56 games this year, had 56 points. So a point-per-game player, uh, fantastic year from Alex Dabrinkit in year four in this league. Look, I know Kane didn't score what he usually does. Now, if you prorate the 15 goals on an 82-game schedule, it's it would be over 20 goals. But it's the first time in his career he's been held under 20. But he ends up, you know, being fifth in the National Hockey League in points because he was second in assists with uh, like 51 assists. So, And then he divulges that he had a nagging injury from before the bubble in Edmonton. What did you make of, of that news that uh, Patrick dropped kind of in his Zoom session earlier in the week? Well, it, it just it, you know shows you what how committed he was to this young group, and obviously with his running mate Jonathan Taves out and not coming back this year, and and here's hoping he's coming back next year. Still, still don't know that for certain, but that he you know he easily could have said, hey, look, I've got this thing that needs to be taken care of, and uh, I'll see you next year because it's a rebuild year. That just shows you how much what kind of leader he is, right? Mm-hmm. And it helps explain uh, the numbers, the the you know, the decline in goals as you mentioned alluded to and his lowest career shooting uh percentage 7.9% and yeah. to still come away with 66 points and and give Debrinket the season he had. I mean, I really lift him up as well. So, I mean, Patrick Kane continues to impress me and um you know, here's hoping he does. He didn't go into details. Uh, here's hoping he gets whatever health issue is resolved uh, and and get you know doesn't lose any training camp time or any start of the season time next year. We will hear from Patrick coming up in our uh, next segment. I want to start with the, the brass, Stan Bowman and uh, Jeremy Colleton. You know, when I look at the issues of this team, there were certainly second half struggles in this season. Whether it was the power play, was it? Rookies hitting the wall. Um, the all-too-common themes sprinkled throughout the year were the too many high-danger chances and the too many scoring chances that were allowed. And then, you know, they talk about, and Jeremy, the work ethic, the, the relentless style he wants to play. When you don't have that on a given night, how do you stay in a game? And I think we saw in the second half when they played teams like Tampa, Florida, Nashville, Bigger teams, they struggled against heavy clubs. So how how are they going to combat that going forward? Let's begin with Stan on how they can take the next step and make the playoffs a year from now. You know, when we played well, when we were really on our game, we could play with anybody and we could beat anybody. Um, the challenge was um, when we didn't have everything going at one time, then it was hard for us. Uh, so we... You know, we our minimum level of performance isn't as high as some of the top teams. So if you look at those top teams, Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, they can play at like 70% and still find a way to, to win the game. 
And I feel like with our group, if, if we were playing at 70%, we wouldn't win those games. Um, we, we had to be really on it with our performance. And that part of that is learning as a young player. When we have as many young players, is, is you have to figure out a way to when you don't have your A game, you, you can't have your C game. You got to have at least a, a B game there so that you can stay competitive and then find a way to keep the game in reach and then, you know, get some points out of the games. I thought it was a pretty honest assessment that, you know, these upper echelon top four teams that ended up representing the central division, they could pl- they could have a, a C-like effort, a 70% type of game and still find a way to stay in the game where the Hawks, if they came out with that kind of effort, that was not going to be in the cards for them. And it it goes back to the cup years. How many times, Brian, would we watch in 2010, 13, 14, and and 15 where you're like, "Eh, they're just kind of hanging around, and then the Hawks would flip the switch and bury the team in the third, you know? That's what good teams do. This team, talent-wise, is not at that level yet. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, the theme of, of the hockey show throughout the season was the margin of error and how thin it was, thinner than my hairline. I mean, you you look at this stuff, and, and I would, you know, I thought Stan was spot on, and he was being as honest as he could be, and I would even argue that we didn't see that B-level game uh, within a game. So we would see A periods, and then we'd see C periods or, or D periods, and they couldn't... Or, or they, like five minutes. Like, I, yeah, there were right. games where... They were the better team for 50 of the 60. But in yep. those 10 minutes, they surrendered three goals and the game was over. Right. And so a lot of that is uh, youth and, and growing pains. But I think ultimately uh, there's also a, a concern here that five on five, they, it's not about age. It's just about not being good enough and that the gap between you know, when you get one win against the Carolinas of the world and, and you know, Nashville, you should have more than one win against Nashville in, in this season. But that their their youth only explains part of it. We still have to figure out if they have I think DeBrinket said it about a month and a half ago, they're not gonna outskill any team right pretty much any night. And they they were well aware of that. So they had to depend on all the intangibles uh, on character and grit and determination and, and competing. And when that took a step back even a little bit, as Stan alluded to, they paid the price for it. Here's Jeremy Carlton on how they need to get better to compete with the likes of Tampa, Florida, Nashville, and Carolina. In style of play, we we want to be harder to play against. We want to have more pressure on the puck, uh, play a relentless style, be have the capability of, of being a hard forechecking team, more physical, more guys who finish checks and especially when you go into playoff series, you got to have that element where you're, you're, you're getting in on their D and, and finishing and, and uh, you know, wearing them down. We, we still, you know, we have some skill guys and we want to be able to score off the rush and be dynamic and transition. Um, I think there's more to get there being better on breakouts and, and things like that. But, against teams that really clog it up and, and uh, you know, they're trying to neutralize our skill with their work ethic and, and uh, you know, maybe having more numbers back. It's, it's going to be hard to outskill teams. We're going to have to be able to grind teams to, to create offense and win 2-1 or 3-2. And um, so we got to continue to develop that side of our, our game. Uh, I think we're making, we're making strides, but uh 
we we're, we got lots of work left to do. That's the area that I think they need to be able to play a different style of game. If you watched Dallas, if you watched Nashville, they would stack the blue line and try to prevent Patrick Kane and DeBrinket and others from entering the zone with speed. The only way to get through that wall is the third option, as Jeremy likes to call it, the chip and chase approach. Sure. But to do that, you get it behind the defenseman. You need to go down and track it down and retrieve it. And usually that means you need to lay the body down. You need to start working on those six foot three defensemen that are in the upper echelon of this division. And then you get the puck, you win the battle, and then you begin to cycle. Right now, the way this group is composed, I don't think they have that style in them. Certainly not enough throughout the top 12. No, I mean, and not to play it every night because they're an undersized team. So chip and chase, dump and chase, you know, it, it, it works well if you have guys willing to go into the corners, pay the price, you know, get beat up and, and get retrieve the puck and center it and all that. Um, they don't have enough of those guys right now. And as much as Kirby Doc came back and, and you give him all the credit in the world for, for showing up because he easily could have just, you know, taken the season off with a broken wrist. He wasn't the same player, obviously, when he came back. So they, they obviously need that and they need size. And we talked about last week with our round table, you know, Jeremy's whole systems, you know, if if you don't have the, the players to plug into the system, do you stick with the system, whether it's offensively or defensively, as we were talking about kind of man on man and, and, you know, exchanging guys and rotating and needing communication. And are these young players up to speed enough to be able to handle that and do it in a depth way? I wanted to uh, discuss one player who both Jeremy and Stan talked about on their uh, their day Wednesday, and it's Dylan Strom, who at the beginning of the year, Brian, when it was announced that Taves was not going to be with the team and that Kirby Doc was going to undergo surgery uh, because of a broken wrist at the, at the World Juniors, you know, they were down their top two centermen. So... At that time, it looked like Dylan Strome would be the number one center on this team. And it, it started that way, and he got off to an okay start, uh, but he had an uneven type of season where you know he ended up with nine goals, eight assists in 40 games. Now, he was injured in this season. He did uh, miss about a month of action with a concussion. Uh, here is Dylan Strom on the difficulty of being a healthy scratch four times over the last few weeks of the regular season. Obviously, still never fun and and it sucks and it pissed me off a lot. But you know, sometimes there's a silver lining and and uh, going home to to a great family at home is uh, is always nice and nice to have a support system like my parents and and brothers who who are you know checking in on me and making sure everything's all right and. You know, just being positive, staying stick, saying stick with it, and and you'll get your chance again. And um, that's kind of the mindset I had. And um, you know, I thought I started to play better after you know I got scratched those two against Nashville, and then obviously came out the, against Carolina, and then one here against Dallas. So um, thought I ended on a good note last night, and, and played hard, and and played well, and nice to score, and um, you know feel feel a little better than the summer than than being scratched uh, for the last game. So I mean, um, you got to look at the positives, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't a you know a great year, but 
you know, some things to build on and, and I learned a lot about myself too. So, um, take the positives. It was a big year for Dylan in the sense of, uh, you know, he had a baby girl during the season. Um, he's got a strong support system with his, within his family. You know, he's got two brothers, uh, one in the NHL, one, uh, in the, uh, NHL farm system. And one thing that Stan and Jeremy said is like they are not giving up on him. They felt that the concussion and the month away really hurt his timing. And when he rejoined the team, he just wasn't in sync. Coming up next, we're going to hear from Patrick Kane. He's going to evaluate his season. You would think finishing top five in the entire NHL would be reason to say you had a good season. Guess again. That's next. It's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. The ESPN 1000 Hockey Show with Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. This is Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to The Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. When you're at home, don't miss Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN 1000. Detroit now will reorganize Anthony Mantha. Through center, approaching Calvin DeHaan on the outside of him. Lay it back, overskated by Stahl, collected by Debrinket. Now he and Kane come on a two-on-one. Kane delays, he'll drag it, his shot, he scores! That's hockey, baby! That's 400 for Patrick Kane! It was a milestone year for Patrick Kane. Scores his 400th goal. Also had his 1,000th game played. He ends up with 66 points, which was good for fifth in the National Hockey League. And remember, you know, he played primarily with a rookie center in Pew Suter all season long. It's the 15 goals that has some people a little surprised. We did hear Patrick say that, you know, he's had a nagging injury since. And he wasn't using it as an excuse. Let me please preface it by saying that. that just, he was not using that as an excuse but that's the reality. He's been dealing with something since the uh, bubble in Edmonton. Here's Patrick Kane's evaluation of his own season. Like disappointed and uh, obviously, you know, not happy about the the goal production. But um, you know, I'm, I guess I'm happy that I still found a way to produce, um, given that that wasn't there for me this year. So just um, you know, got to figure that out. Obviously, not too concerned about it because I feel like I, you know, I can score goals and. Uh, can be a, a big time goal producer in the league. Just got to uh, um, maybe figure out how to uh, um, find a way to uh, you know get to the net a little bit more, maybe or get more chances. Or you know, obviously with with the way our team plays now, um, um, it's not so much puck possession as it is you know moving the puck ahead and tracking it down. So you know, I've been used to you know playing that puck possession game my whole career, so it's a little bit different. But um, you know, just got to find a way to, to create no matter uh, no matter what the situation is. So, um, you know, looking forward to, to bouncing back next year. I thought that was an interesting point he made, Brian, that oh, yeah. you know, he's used to the the puck possession approach and uh, not this this tracking down pucks and taking it away. But he's he's willing to adapt. Well, he's willing to adapt. And, and we gave him all the credit early on in the season, rightfully so, that he bought in to Jeremy Colleton's system and, and you know, everything that he was selling in terms of 
determination and, and work ethic and everything else. So once you get Patrick Kane to sign on, everyone else has to fall in, in line. And they did for the most part. But I detected a little bit of frustration there. I mean, here's mm-hmm. a guy at this point of his Hall of Fame career having to to adapt to that and, and not be the magician with the puck on his stick, right? Um, and, and then he went on to talk about how he personally missed, you know, Jonathan Taves and not that they always played together. That was always the nuclear option, obviously. But how much, you know, fell on his shoulders without the captain being there. So um, it was interesting that he just mentioned that, that it was a different style for him. And it's a style that I'm not so sure he embraced, but he did it publicly. I mean, he certainly didn't make any noise about it. But I, maybe I heard a little frustration there, I guess is the easiest way to say it. Well, he's the ultimate competitor, and he is frustrated about not making the playoffs. And, you know, he did say, like, in the Zoom session, he's like, you know, I, I next year it's not going to be about the kids getting to play and develop. It's going to be about winning and getting to the playoffs. But I want you to listen to this this cut from Patrick. Listen to how he blames the second half woes that the Blackhawks had on himself. Listen to this. Here's Patrick Kane on not making the playoffs. Well, yeah, you know, you keep missing the playoffs. It obviously um, it's it becomes depressing. You know, I mean, you want to uh, you want to be playing in the in the big games and the big moments, and um, you know, it's obviously tough. And I think you can, uh, you know, at the end of the year, I mean, it'd be easy to you know point fingers and different things as to to why we missed the playoffs, but you take it upon yourself to. Um, look at what you did and, and what you could have done to help this team even more. And obviously I look at my season, you know, when I was producing a lot and uh, and had a big start to the season, you know, we were, we were in a playoff position. So obviously that didn't continue and you see, uh, see, we kind of faded out of uh, a playoff position. So, you know, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think those two things go, those two things go hand in hand and, you know, in the future, just got to produce, uh, you know, more consistently and, uh, and, uh, you know, be better for the team. So, um, you know, I'm looking to to have a good summer, rest up, and and uh, get myself ready to uh, to come back next year and uh, um, be a man on a mission to help get this team into into the playoffs because that's where we all want to be. How about that? A man on a mission <laughs> next year. If you're Jeremy Collins and Stan Bowman, Danny Wirtz, Rocky Wirtz, and you hear one of the most Talented players, elite players in the entire National Hockey League who finished fifth in scoring say it's not coincidence that when my production tailed off in the second half, so did the wins. I mean, how, how many superstars say that? Yeah, how, how do you not love that guy? Uh, and and how the maturity, we've, we've watched this kid literally grow up in front of our eyes. And the championships came along with it and the off-ice struggles and everything else. And and now to hear him, a man on the mission, I mean, if that's not an ad campaign, he's yeah. just willing to be put <laughs> up in billboards. Um, but, I mean, that's that's when you look at the totality of the season, you love that kind of leadership. You love that, put whether it's, it's you know, 100% fair or not, he put it on his shoulders. He, he's not, you know, he's not pointing fingers. He's pointing a thumb. It's unbelievable that – Given the the production and and the babysitting he had to do and setting up other guys, be, you know whatever game he gave up of his own to make sure the team was moving in the right direction, and then to at the end of the bit put it back on his plate is unbelievable. So maybe it's a case of 
you know, the puck luck thing that we heard. So, so ends up Patrick has had a shooting percentage, a career low 7.9%. You know who had a sh- shooting percentage of 8.7% last year? Alex Dabrinkit. You know what his shooting percentage was this year, Brian? 20.6. So, you know, you can have bounce back years. And I, I think, well, first of all, you got to tip the hockey helmet towards Patrick Kane for his career best in primary assists, finding another way to help out this team. And he set up whatever rookie he was out on the ice with and Alex to bring it to the, the tune of 32 goals, 18 all of last year for to and Jeremy Colleton called to one of the best two way forwards in the game. You'll remember last year, when the shooting percentage was at an all-time low for Alex and the puck wasn't going in the net, he said, how do I contribute to this team? So he worked on his defensive side of the game, and he married those two this year. And I talked about it with Colleton on the postgame show this past week. Could he be in the discussion for as a Selkie finalist as the best defensive forward in the National Hockey League in the not-too-distant future? And he said that's a challenge that he, he thinks DeBrinckit would be up for. So uh, it gets, it's funny how this game works out. When you're struggling in one area, you work your craft in a different uh, spot, and then you can combine the two together and make yourself an even better all-around player. Yeah, and you look at the 28.5% of offense that Dabrinkit and Kane generated. I mean, just remarkable. And, and you know, that leads to Dabrinkit's bounce-back uh, season here. It's also a lot for two guys to have to, to you know, deliver most nights if you're going to win a game, right? And, again, you're looking at 10 different rookies who saw substantial ice time or, or were a big part of this thing at different parts of the season. So, the good news was that they found and they talked about that chemistry they have on and off the ice. And, you know, the the other part of it is that uh, you had a lot of first and second year players generating about 40 percent of the offense. So somewhere in the middle, you need some help from more established veterans, don't you? No, oh, no question about it. And, you know, th- those veterans are a lot of them dropped off. I mean, Andrew Shaw calls it a career. Brent Seabrook calls it a career. Uh, you you look at, you know, just the changes that were made at the end of the season. Duncan Keith is out with the concussion. Patrick Kane was the oldest guy on the ice by like five years. Yeah, that blew his mind. He's he's like the first four years, five years I was here. I was always the youngest guy on the team. And now he's the elder skatesman, as Eddie Olchek <laughs> likes to say, by a long shot. But um Hey, coming up on the other side, Patrick Kane weighs in on not having Jonathan Taves all season long. We'll discuss that. But first, it'll be our grades as we break down this Blackhawks roster from the past season. We'll hand it out. Professor Hanley and Boyle, it's the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000. The Hockey Show with Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. This is ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. 
You're listening to The Hockey Show. Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley host Chicago's only show dedicated to hockey fans. The Hockey Show. Presented by Coors Light. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Here comes Kurashev with a wrist. He scores! Philip Kurashev's first NHL goal! Shot by the hot save, rebound, score! First NHL goal, you shooter! Happy to get the first one, uh, finally. Uh, yeah, made it easier after. And the first NHL goal for 51 Red has tied the game. Here's a loose puck, Bodan, he scores! There's the first one for Nicholas Bodan! Two Hawks rookie defensemen have scored. Just happy to tie the game up and getting that first one is his special too. Yeah, uh, dream come true, scoring your first natural goal like you said. Centering pass wound up right in front of that of the Blackhawks. Was that Hagel getting his first? Dream come true. I've jumped to this my whole life, so um, no better feeling than getting a pass from a legend as well. And Wyatt Kalanuck, congratulations. Welcome to the National Hockey League. Something you dream about. I know uh, my mom, dad, and grandma Betty back home are, are smiling, so it feels good for sure. The first goal for Mike Hartman and the first assist. Red whistle. Shooting the puck off pad, and I was just lucky to be there and uh, tap it in. But uh, yeah, no, it was an awesome feeling. Might have been Stillman here, Pat. Thought it might be the way he reacted. Yeah. That's what I thought we might have seen. It was huge. I mean, uh, there was a couple. I had a couple opportunities during the game. I've had a couple opportunities in the past, um, but it was big to get that first one the way. Well, congratulations to Mackenzie Entwistle. Woke up this morning and, and called my mom for Mother's Day and, and uh, you know the one thing she said was try to get me a goal. So, mom, if you're watching, I got you one. Our thanks to NBC Sports Chicago for that. As nine rookies made their debuts with the Blackhawks in the NHL this year, nine players scored their first career goals, including eight rookies. And as you mentioned earlier, 311 games were played by the rookies, which is most by any team. So with that being said, let's uh, let's get into the grades. And and I had a I had a little tough time doing this because there's so many rookies. I do feel like there should be a different evaluation criteria for the, the rookie versus the vet, but I didn't go that route. So I did not grade on a curve. Uh did you have any Fs, Professor mm-hmm. Hanley? No, and are we running one of those schools where you don't give out letter grades because you want to hurt, don't want to hurt anyone's feelings? Um, no, no, not in the, it's hockey, baby. We're, <laughs> we're you know, you, you tape a band aid to it, you don't miss a shift. You be, you can take a C minus and you can move on in the world. That's exactly right. No, I had no failing grades, um, but I did have a couple D's. Okay. And, and we heard from one of them earlier in the show in uh, Mr. Strom. And the fact, now look, I get they needed seven defensemen. But the two games against Nashville that he was a healthy scratch, mm-hmm. the season literally on the brink, right? You have to have those games. And for a third overall pick, it just wasn't good enough. And I know the concussion, I get it. And you can you know, say that that impacted him after he came back. He wasn't the same. But frankly, I, you know, I needed more from him. I, I, he does not get a passing grade. I, I, I didn't even have to think hard on that one. I just, you know, it, it He's if he's this kind of player where you're going into the offseason, not sure if he's coming back wearing a hawk sweater or not. I think that tells you all you need to know about uh, a, a guy who had who's when you're the third overall pick, 
you should be well ahead and, and well on your way to a very successful career, not kind of a, well, he looks apart this week and he's up in the press box the next week. I, uh, I did not have any D's. My, uh, uh, you would have liked to have had me at uh, at Marquette as your professor because I'm a very, very understanding. And if you come to my office hours, I will listen to your problems. Uh, no, so I but I had seven C's, including three C minuses. That was kind of my way of saying, yeah, you quite you weren't quite up to uh, to speed and, and, and average. And, and my C minuses went to Zadorov, Strom, and Connolly. So uh, we're, we're similar in that sense. And I went incompletes on anybody that played less than 10 games. And that's exactly what I did. And we okay. didn't talk about that. Ain't 10 or fewer games. Yeah, like because, Colin Delia got an incomplete in my right, book. Right. And, and Hardman, I liked what I saw, but, I mean, you can't really. Right, right. You know, and Mackenzie Entwistle, he, he, he did a better job than you and I giving his mother a, a great Mother's Day gift as, as in an NHL goal that she had asked for. I sent flowers. So Mackenzie Entwistle, you win there, but you get an incomplete because you only only played in four games. I uh, what, do you, what do you what do you do with Zadorov? Because when we had Stan Bowman on, and he even mentioned it in his Zoom session that he's already started the negotiation process with his agent. Okay, three point two million speculation could be a four point five to five million. Uh, I mean, he, they, no, I, it won't be that high to make a qualifying. Not here, it won't be. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, I if anybody paid him over four million dollars, they they're are not. they're nuts. Yeah. Um. Here, here's my take. On on paper, I get it. He's huge. He's big. He he can lay some hits. But when you watch him up close and personal. You know, he's not the best skater at all times. Not the greatest stick. He's out there for his defense, and at times he gets caught in the offensive zone. Yes, hockey IQ needs some work. But but here's the issue I have with him, and it kind of goes for a lot of guys in this lineup. I think a lot of guys, Brian, were slotted ahead of where they should actually be. If the Hawks had a, a legit right now top two defenseman, to pair with Connor Murphy, say. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets slotted down. You're not seeing Stillman play with uh, Connor Murphy. You're not seeing maybe Duncan Keith. I, I do think Duncan Keith right now, he's a 3-4 in his career with the right partner. But I gave him a C. I, and I let me see what I gave. I gave and, him a and, B. And, and but I, I get go ahead. 23, 23 and a half minutes of ice time, and A for conditioning. Um, it wasn't good. when you're getting paid that much, and and you're, you're you know you feel like you can still play the game at, at the level we we got spoiled with. I got to see more. I mean, I need more, and I yeah. get that. I need you know, I get the partnership, and you know, playing with guys he doesn't even know, but it it needs to be better than that. So maybe I'm being too tough on him, but I gave him a C. Well, he went to Michigan State, so I I gave him a B. Again, that's the way I that's the way I roll. <laughs> Uh, but no, he was out there with rookies primarily a, a lot of the season. And I think at times, um, you know, th- that took away from his game a little bit. But all that being said, when, when we talk about the D zone coverage, I don't think that's going anywhere. It's still going to be this man on man and a half. Yep. And it may get tweaked, as Jeremy Colleton said it will uh, or, or could. But I just question if they have all the pieces 
to run that system. I think you really need to be great skating, great high hockey, hockey IQ, knowing when to switch, knowing when to stay with your man, even when he leaves good ice for bad ice. And I think that was a lot to ask so many rookies. I mean, on a given night, there were sometimes four rookie defensemen out there. And I think you put the lack of experience, this somewhat complex D-zone coverage, put it together, and you're going to see some mistakes. And that's and that's what we saw. How many A's did you hand out? Uh, A-wise, I had four A's. Okay, that's what I started with, and then I felt like I was being too critical. All right, my A's, uh, one, actually, I think I have five. Uh, Vinny Hinnestrosa got an A. Yes. Brandon Hagel got an A. Correct. Patrick Kane got an A. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Murphy got an A-, minus, and Alex Dabrinka got an A+. Plus. Uh, I uh, gave Connor Murphy and his 130 block shots to lead the team. I gave him a B+. Plus. Ooh. I, no. You're, you're tough. How about this? Uh, so Hagel, Hinestrosa, I put Pew Suter in there, mm-hmm. uh, fourth on the team in scoring. Um, Lincoln I had as a B, and I ended up giving him an A because of what we talked about at the top of the show. I thought, would they have even been in the conversation for a playoff if he hadn't had that stretch of six weeks or so where everyone is celebrating him across the league, right? Like, who is this guy? So. Maybe I was too generous there because against the, the, the better teams in the last 22, he was 8-11-2 with a, a full goal differential, right, from when he was when he was the guy we were talking about, two, 2.55 goals against and then 3.34 in the last 22. So I, I went back and forth, but I ended up giving him an A. And uh, David Camp, 56 games, had to take all those face-offs, 777, for showing up and you know not being a guy you noticed every night, but he won fifty almost fifty three percent of his face off. So I, I gave him I gave him uh, an A for us. Oh wow! So I gave him a B because here's the deal: you play fifty six games, you, and yeah. you're you, you got to score more than one goal for me. Where's that? Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, uh, but a nice job there on your uh, on your grades, professor. And give me give me what you gave Subban and Lincoln in again. Uh, Lincoln in an A. A, okay. Delia incomplete, as we said. Subban was tough because Lincoln in wouldn't have gotten a chance if, you know, if, if Subban and, and I, I gave Subban a C plus B minus. Yeah, I gave Subban a B minus and I gave Lincoln in a B only because yeah. of the second half of the season. Hey, I want to get to this before we take a break. Uh, you know, there's been a, I would say, not, not a cloud, but there's been a storyline that has been around this team all season long. And I don't think it's been as big for the players in that Blackhawks locker room as it's been for uh, fans. And that's the fact that Jonathan Taves did not play a game this season. And the fact that we're unsure and don't know, there's no clarity to what is keeping him out, and whether or not he will return. Here's Patrick Kane on this weird season without his friend, Jonathan Tate. Yeah, I miss him in a lot of ways. Um, off the ice, obviously, he's a great leader. Um, uh, you know, good friend, great friend. Uh, so uh, you miss him just in that sense. And then, obviously, uh, you know, on the ice for me um, – I think it makes things a lot easier too because, you know, you kind of, you know, whether we're playing together or not, you have that one-two punch that gives uh, 
you know, the other team something to think about, about who they're going to offend or, you know, obviously got to be more aware when he's on the ice and, uh, you know, I can come up next and maybe get easier matchups, things like that. So they miss him a lot in the face-off department. I think uh, we saw that a lot with the power play this year. Um, gets to a point where it becomes, you know, frustrating where you're losing the draws and, and you got to start on the breakout on the power play. I think he was so good at that. You kind of took that for granted where you're always starting the puck in the offensive zone. And it seems like when we did that this year, we had, you know, a little bit more success and uh, and could create a little bit more. So miss him there. Obviously, there's a bunch of other ways we miss him, but you expect him to be back next year. Hopefully he's back and uh, he's obviously a huge part of the team and the organization. Uh, Kane hit on a lot of points there, Brian. One, you you lose one of the best face-off men in the business. And and he takes those power play draws on the top power play unit. He takes a lot of the defensive zone draws on the penalty kill. How many times this year did the Hawks lose those draws and they end up in the back of the net? You talk about the one-two punch. Uh, the opposition having to pick, do I, this Taves line is heating up, do I need to put my shutdown line against them, or do I got to worry about 88? So there's a lot of things going on here. But here, here's the thing about Taves. I believe he has hockey left in him. I think there will be a resolution to his health status before training camp. I cannot see another season where it's rumor innuendo uncertainty i i just think there will be clarity before this season starts and again i do think the captain has hockey left in him oh i think he has hockey left in him but again when stan bowman kind of talks around and said i had a nice conversation 15 20 minutes talked about a lot of things some not even hockey related and that's my update we don't i mean no one is we had the report a few weeks ago a month or so ago that um you know, he intends or it looks like he will be back next year, but that was the extent of it. I mean, it looks like, okay, um, you want to believe it, uh, but I think for the team's sake and for, the, you know, Pat, Patrick Kane's sake and everyone in that room and, and the front office, they they have to have clarity going into the next season, right? They have, moving forward, they have to either make contingency plans to go another season without Jonathan Taves. They, I don't think he can go month to month like this next year. One of our poll questions up right now uh, on our Twitter poll, which is at ESPN Hockey Show. Will Jonathan Taves be back next season? Yes or no? On the other side, we'll have the results to our poll questions and one-timers. It's the Hockey Show. One last time on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away for the nonstop chill. The Hockey Show. Listen on the new ESPN Chicago app from anywhere. This is ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to The Hockey Show. With Pat Boyle and Brian Hanley. Presented by Coors Light. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. on the hockey show on ESPN 1000 with Brian Hanley. I am Pat Boyle this is our final show of the season. We will be back and better than ever. As Greeny likes to say, uh, the season is, I think going to commence on October 12th. So we'll be back in uh, early October. Let's just say when the white Sox are in the middle of MLB's playoffs. So we'll, we'll sounds like a plan. We'll yeah. do that. 
Uh, here were some of our poll questions on our uh, extravaganza this morning. Will Jonathan Taves be back next season? 57% of you say yes. Uh, that's where I voted. Brian, where'd you go? Uh, I said no. No, okay. The other question we had, which Hawks surprised you most this season? 38% of you said it was Lankanen. 35% went with Hagel. And 24 went with Debrinket. I went with Hagel at 35%. So I, I checked in with Lincoln. All right. And you were a winner, my friend. And then the last one, what is the Blackhawks' biggest offseason need? And in a landslide, 64% are going with top four defensemen. And that's where I voted as well. Uh, Brian, where'd you go on that one? I have the heart want to go with Jonathan Taves, but uh, yeah, they need a top four defenseman. All right, up next, it's one timers. One timers. One timer by Alfredson. He's gone. On the hockey show. One time shot. On ESPN 1000. It's one timers, and uh, we usually take a look at the rest of the NHL. You figured what? Let's figure out who's going to win this whole thing, this this Stanley Cup, this 35-pound chalice. Is that yeah, is that where you're going? Yeah, let's put your name on there uh, for best prediction. Okay. Um, I am really intrigued by the Central Division. I, 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 I think any of those top three, Carolina, Florida, and Tampa, obviously Florida and Tampa are playing each other, so one of those guys are going to be knocked out. Uh, but I'm going to go with the winner, the Colorado Avalanche who are the two seed in the West. I think the Colorado Avalanche will hoist Lord Stanley's Cup. And we did not talk about this beforehand, and that's where I landed, too. Wow. Not only do you have the great player, they only allowed 132 goals. Vegas, 124 goals. Obviously, been there and done that. But um, I think defensively, they can hold their own. Is Obviously, they can put up put up the, as many goals as they need to each and every night. So we're going with the Avalanche. All right. Well, we'll watch that over the next uh, oh, few months. And uh, there'll be a lot going on uh, behind the scenes with the Blackhawks as they continue to build upon uh, this promising season that we just finished up. Hey, it was a lot of fun, Brian. I uh, hope we can do it again next year. And uh, I want to thank our producer, Tyler Aki, who uh, he juggles like about, 10 plates at once here at ESPN 1000. Did a fantastic job all year long with us. I want to thank our great sponsor, Coors Light, the title sponsor, and uh, everybody for your support on the hockey show on ESPN 1000. Uh, Brian, it was, it was a fun team to cover. Absolutely let's hope, was. Let's hope we're, uh, we're doing this in the playoffs next year. Keep it in the fairway. All right. I, I will try. That's going to do it for the Hockey Show on ESPN 1000, presented by Coors Light. Break away from the nonstop chill. We'll see you next season. You've been listening to the Hockey Show, presented by Coors Light. Break away for nonstop chill. Did you miss something? Yeah, pretty sure you did. Podcasts are a click away on the new ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000. Good stuff, boys. Have fun and be careful driving. Thank you. I-